Let's pray and we'll get into the word for a few minutes this morning. Father, we love you, but way more importantly than that, you love us. And we set ourselves to receive your love today. We set ourselves to see it and know it, walk in it, and be changed by it. Father, I'm asking you by the help of the Holy Spirit to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. We want eyes that see Jesus, ears that hear his voice and no other, and hearts that understand who he is in us and who we are in him. We value this this morning above anything and everything else. And we thank you, Lord, for being the, the change and the catalyst of change in our lives. As we come before your word today, we expect to be changed by it. We expect to be transformed from the inside to the outside. We set our minds on these things. We set our affections and our focus on these things, Lord. And I thank you for helping us by your grace to look more on the outside like we do on the inside because the image you've planted inside of us Lord is perfection the nature on the inside is perfection and I thank you for equipping us to live live out that nature from the inside to the outside we give you praise for it in Jesus name you agree with that amen amen, amen. well you may be seated did you bring a Bible with you today? Let's look together briefly uh, where we've been starting each service, 1 John chapter 3, and we'll go on from there. 1 John 3 verse 1, behold, the whole name of this conference has been behold. It's kind of an old word, not one we use very often, and if you ask me, a strange name for a conference, but uh, it wasn't up to me. Lord, what do you want to call this thing? He just said, it's in my word. Just keep going to my word. And I kept coming back across this word, behold. Of course, we don't use it in our language with each other that much anymore. But it's, we use derivatives of it. We, we still use the meaning of it. If I see something that you don't see and I want you to see it, what am I going to say? Look at this. Look at this. I want to show you something. That's exactly what this word means. Wake up. Pay attention. Behold. Right? I think we should start using it more. Behold, my new car. Behold, my new clothes, you know. Behold, I think you should start using it more. It's got a kind of a nice ring to it. Behold, what's he want you to look at? What's he want you to pay attention to? What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. See, we are far too mindful, we are far too aware of fleshy stuff, of, of, of natural stuff, of everything that we can see. But see, the Apostle Paul, through the Spirit of God, wrote and said, we do not look at things that are seen, but at things that are unseen. Why? Because the seen stuff, the stuff you can touch, all the stuff that you can feel, that you get so addicted to, all that's just temporary. But the unseen... The unseen world of the Spirit of God where he lives, where he operates, where he moves, it's eternal. And the effect and the impact is eternal. And we've got to get our eyes off of and quit being limited to what, what we can just see with these eyes here and get on over into what can't be seen naturally. Living and walking by faith is learning to see with your eyes closed. Learning to see with these eyes closed. 
And to see and to behold what kind of love God has given you, you got to shut these eyes and just let the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, he has shed abroad in our hearts, what? The love of God. You let him paint a picture on the inside of you of just how much you are loved. You go back and you look at what Jesus has done. You look at the cross. You look at death, hell, and the grave. You look at the resurrection. And all of it is because he loves me. He loves me. And if you just meditate on that and you just behold that and look at it and wake up to it, you're going to come away going, he loves me. He, he really, really loves me. He loves me so, so much. And there may be nothing else to say. He loves me. But you know what? If that's all you knew and that's all you could say, that is a beautiful start. We looked at Genesis chapter 13 and in verse 14, you want to find that for me and put that up there. We looked at God speaking to a man named Abram. And in Genesis chapter 13, verse 14, God gives him instruction and he says to him, uh, this is just after Lot had separated from him. God said to Abram, he said, lift your eyes now. The King James and others say, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. He said, look from this place, northward, southward, eastward, westward. And then he said to him, everywhere that you see, I've given to you. But I want you to notice his instruction, lift up and look from. It's a two-part instruction, lift up and look from. It's the exact opposite of let down and look at. See, so many people, like I said, are, they're, they're just completely and totally obsessed and preoccupied with where they are right now. This is the world I live in. This is the box I have. It's either the one I've created for myself or most people say, well, somebody else did this to me and this, so this is what I have to deal with because I don't come from this kind of place. I come from this kind of place. I have this or don't have that. This is what I wish I did have. And if you were to ask any given person, tell me about your life right now, people are, have you noticed how willing people are to just talk about themselves? Have you noticed that? And you and I are really, no, we're not excluded from that unless we exclude ourselves because the propensity of the human nature is to just talk about what you have, what you don't have, what you wish you had, where you're from, where you're not from, where you wish you were from. It's just to talk about these current conditions that you live in. And if you were to ask somebody, tell me about your life, they could describe to you with great certainty and great detail everything about their life, everything from where they live to where they work and what they feel and what they think about it. But then if you were to say that to them, now describe to me your future, they might say, well, how, I don't know. I hadn't been there yet. It wouldn't be my future if I'd been there. But God said to Abram, lift up. Get your eyes off of where you are now. Lift your head up and look at this place. No, from this place. Look from this place. If you are in the right place right now, if you're where God has created you and assigned you to be, the reason is because your future demands it. Your future requires it. What I'm saying to you is that every place you are, if you're in the right place, it's because that place is foundation for the next place. People used to ask me all the time, like, well, where do you want to be in 10 years? Where, where, do, you, where do you see yourself? 
What about when you have your own ministry someday? What do you, what do you see yourself doing? Where do you want to be in 10, 15, 20 years? I got so tired of that question, and I finally just answered it like this. I want to do, in 10 years, exactly what I'm doing right now, just on a 10-year scale, on a 10-year level. And the reason is because if, I'm, if what I'm doing in 10 years doesn't look a thing like what I'm doing right now, then I'm wasting my time right now. Because this is supposed to be foundation. There's supposed to be something that I'm learning, something that I'm growing from, something that's being developed in me right now for the sake of my future. And then when I get to my future, whatever's going on then is for the sake of my future feature. You see what I'm saying? That's why it's so important. You've got to get your head up. Just, like I said, ditch the drama. Get over this addiction to the current state of affairs. Get your head up and look from this place. That's what this place is good for. If you don't like where you are, if you don't like this place, then just use it as something to get up on and look from here. Yeah, I can see out there. And, and Abram, because he had this word from God, he could describe to you with as much certainty his future as he could his present. And that's where you and I need to be. But until you start beholding the love of God, if you don't know that he loves you, then there is no certainty about your future. If you don't know what he's done and how much he cares, then there is no certainty about your future. But if you look into the pages of the scripture and you allow, allow it to come alive to you, then you see your future is in there. God's word says that he is good and his mercy does what? It endures forever. And if his mercy endures forever, that must mean that mercy is in my future right now. Waiting for me. Grace is there waiting for me. Favor is there waiting for me. The love of God is there waiting for me. Yeah, maybe I don't know what house it's in. Maybe I don't even know what state or country it's in. But I know it's good. I am as certain about that as I am about anything else. It is a good thing. It is a good place. Why? How can you be so certain? Because he loves me. Because he loves me. Really? That's all? That's the only reason? Yeah, what, you need another one? He loves me. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Maybe it doesn't feel like it is, but it's going to be okay as long as you learn to behold how much he loves you. Are you with me this morning? Is this making sense to you? I want you to go now to the book of Hebrews and also find Matthew chapter 13 again. We spent some time there last night. Go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 first, and then we'll look quickly at he uh, excuse me, Matthew 13. <clears throat> Here's something you've heard before, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Without faith, it is what? Impossible, Impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe. I love it. That's what God requires of us. See, it's traditional religious thinking that's got people trapped in thinking God requires all this stuff. He requires this, this uh, to, to clean yourself up and, and get right and quit talking this way and start talking this way and, and quit looking like that and start looking like this and stop and start and don't and do and da 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 But if you look at the word and find out what it requires, he said, here's what I want you to do. Believe. Everything else will come out of that. Any change that needs to take place will come out of you believing. 
It will come out of you believing him, believing his word. And yes, I believe and agree with this statement, come as you are. But here's what happens. When you come as you are and you believe what God's word has said about you, then you don't stay as you are. You come as you are, but you leave and live as he is. That's the end goal here. That's the result that we have in mind. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe. And he wants you to believe two things. Number one, he is. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair requirement. God says, if you're going to come to me, I want you to believe I exist. I want you to believe I is. He is. That's what he says. And I believe he is. God, I believe you is. That's what I believe about you. You, you is. You always, you've always is. I mean, that you just always been. I mean, that's just you. You is now and you is forever. I just know that about you. Does anybody believe in the existence of a God? Now, little point right here. Have you noticed how strange that makes you (laughs) in the world we live in today? I know there's still a lot of people that believe in the existence of a God, but it seems that that all the people with the microphones, you know what I mean by that? You got East Coast and you got West Coast, and they're, they're the ones that are allowed to speak for the country. And it's like all the people with the microphones... We're, we're moving towards, you know, you know, believing in the existence of a God that's good in a certain place on a certain day, but let's be real. And hey, I, look, I don't care if that separates me from everybody else on the planet. I believe he exists. I believe that. I believe in the existence of my God. But he says, there's something else I want you to believe. I want you to believe not only that he is, but that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So I think it's safe to say that there are still millions, hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of people on the planet that believe in the existence of a God. But here is where we really, what I like to say is take that giant step away from normal. Not only do you believe he is, you believe he's good. You believe he's a rewarder. You believe there's interaction with him. You believe that he is good and he is love and he is lavish and he is kind. You believe that about him. And he says, without this kind of faith, it is impossible to please him because he who comes to God must believe that he is and, he, and you must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you holding Matthew 13? Go there and look with me. You know what? I told you Matthew 13. Let's do this. Let's look at Mark chapter 4. It's the same, it's the same parable that we've been studying of the sower that sows the word. And if, uh, if you haven't been with us, then I won't take time to go back all, over all of that. But what we really gleaned from it was that Jesus said, the sower sows the word and... Every time he went out, he, he put a seed in the ground, and that word, the word of God, got sown on four different kinds of ground, and it only produced once. So here's the answer for people who are frustrated. 
Here's the answer for people who have sat in sermons and they've sat in church and they think things are supposed to look different than they are. If you're frustrated saying the word's not working for me or this church and Christian thing isn't working for me, go back and find out why it's not working. See, as a minister of the gospel, I refuse to be satisfied with this answer. Well, it works for some and not for others. And we just don't know. God sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. In his sovereignty, we just don't know. I hate that. I refuse to live that way. I refuse to preach that way. And I will never, as long as it's within my power, allow somebody to exist and live under that conception of who God is. Because if it's not working, Jesus said, here's why it's not working. And he gave you three different kinds of ground that the word got sown in every time and it didn't do anything. The word of God. The word, living, sharp, powerful word of God that can save you, that can heal you, that can deliver you, that can prosper you, that can change your entire life and restore a marriage and bring families back together, renew the mind. All of that is in the word. And Jesus said it got planted and didn't do a thing. You got to find out why. He gave you three different kinds of ground of why it didn't work. Number one, he said, if you don't understand it. And we discovered that that word understanding means to grasp the meaning, the nature and the value. If you don't have a value for the word of God, if there's no honor for it, if the word is being preached and you don't esteem it as the, as the word with the most authority, if you don't know how to elevate his word above a doctor's word, if you don't know how to do that, then, then it can't work in you. You understand what I'm saying? To grasp the value of it, 1 Samuel chapter 2, God spoke and he said, I, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. The word despise means to lightly esteem. We, we kind of think of it as in, as in, you know, I hate that. Oh, that's gross. But in scripture, the word despise just means to take it lightly, just to not think very much of it at all. And God said, where there's honor for me, I can honor you. But if you don't know how to honor my word, I can't do in your life what it's capable of doing. And we saw that Jesus went into his own hometown. And in Jesus, the word made flesh is the, the willingness to heal, the willingness to save, the willingness to deliver and to preach repentance in the kingdom of God. But what did it say about him? In his own hometown, he there could do no mighty works, no ability the word came, but couldn't produce. And he answered why. He said, a prophet is not without honor in his own hometown, except in his own hometown. So there was no honor for the word, therefore the word could not honor them. When you honor the word, his word honors you with salvation. His word, isn't, it, isn't salvation an honor? Isn't the healing of your body an honor from God? Isn't it wonderful? What a gracious, beautiful gift. But if we don't know how to value it as such, then it, it cannot. It ha, it, it's, not, it, it's not that it doesn't want to. God is willing. It's that he can't. He described a couple of more grounds. We, we skipped the second one and looked at the third one. He said, where the word is sown among thorns, the cares of this world, the, the uh, deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, these, these thorns choke the word. And the thorns, you go back to Genesis, the first place thorns ever showed up, it was because man sinned and God said, look, this 
earth is going to produce thorns. And if you want to eat, it, you're going to have to sweat. You're going to have to dig through these thorns. You're going to have to excavate, and you are going to have to sweat, and it'll be in your toil that you're sustained. Before sin, it was a free gift. After the fall, you have to work for it. That's what God called thorns. So Jesus said the thorns were the cares of this world. Same thing, you working for it. What am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? What can I possibly do to make this better? Deceitfulness of riches, how am I going to make a living? It's all up to me. And it's a system and a cycle of living based on what you think you deserve. And being upset for not getting what you think you deserve. Folks, like I said to you yesterday, that's not a conversation you want to have. You don't want to have the this is what I deserve conversation with God. If you want to get into that, it's not pretty. You want to talk grace. You want to talk mercy. You want to talk favor. Not what you deserve. Amen? But he said all these things are thorns and they choke the word. In other, word, in other words, the seed, the grace of God cannot share the same ground with you trying to earn it. Did you earn your salvation? Raise your hand if you earned your salvation. Do we have anybody in here today that earned their salvation? In other words, you were so beautifully perfect that God came knocking on your door and said, Wow, you, you are good. You, you are so good. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 4 says that if it was by works, then it wouldn't be grace, it would be debt. And so if anybody in here earned your salvation, that means God came to you and said, I owe you some salvation. You, you are amazing. Did that happen? No? No hands? Okay. So if it wasn't debt, then what was it? It's grace. It was a gift. But if you can't earn your salvation, why are you trying to earn your healing? Why are you trying to earn favor? Why are you trying to earn, earn, earn? Well, I got to earn a living, don't I? Who said? Instead of going to that job to try to make a living, try to earn a living, why don't you go there under assignment? Once you go there under assignment from God himself and say, what is it I'm supposed to do here? Who is it I'm supposed to reach? What, what about this environment is supposed to change because of you through me? That's a different way to go to work. And I have to say that because, in other words, you're going to think, I, you know, I might have said, quit your job. That's not what I said, okay? But it's a different way of thinking. The seed of the grace of the word of God cannot, cannot produce in the same ground as you trying to earn it, you trying to work for it. This is the one I wanted to get to, and we spent most of our time with this last night. He said, when the word got sown on stony ground, you think of that and you think about rocks just sitting out there on top of the ground, but that's not what that means. You go back and study it and you find out that it was, it was good earth, it was dirt that looked like it would be good to sow in, but just underneath the surface was a layer of stone. And Jesus said that because it had no earth, it had no depth of earth, it couldn't, it couldn't develop a root. It says it sprang up immediately. You received the word with gladness, he said. He said he re you received the word with joy. And we know what that's like, right? Especially in a church like this. I mean, you hear the word, amen, so good, preach it, say it. That's awesome. What, what else have we come up with? That's delicious. Say that. Preach that. And you get real excited about the word and you receive it with joy and mm, that was so good. Did you hear that? Ooh, that was so wonderful. Until you walk out. And if that word that got you so excited doesn't have any root in it, Jesus said then immediately tribulation comes. 
He says, you won't endure. Time will go by, but you won't endure because tribulation and persecution will separate you from that. Ephesians 3 tells us that our root, we are to be rooted and grounded in what? Love. Here we come back around to love. Grounded and founded in the love of God. My response to everything. He loves me. What are we going to do about this crashing economy? I don't know, but he loves me. What are we going to do about our government? Government shutdown? What are we going to do? I'm not going to do anything. He loves me. And people will hear that and they will think it's arrogant. They will think it's pride. But as long as it's not, as long as it's humility and just saying, my God loves me. I am who he said I am. Not who I said I am. That would be pride. Pride would be, I am who I said I am. Humility is, I am who he said I am. Pride is, I can do whatever I want. Humility is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Because tribulation and persecution is what man can do or say about you to hurt you. And if you don't know how much you're loved, then that persecution will separate you from God. But we saw in Romans chapter 8, it says, if our God is for us, who can be against us? But watch out now. If you don't know how to value the word, And you got people saying dirty things about you and writing bad articles and posting things online and young people just putting stuff on their Facebook about this one and that one and it's not just young people anymore. We got grandparents on Facebook. We got any grandparents on Facebook in here? We got, look at that. Jesus is coming soon. I'll tell you what. And people just, I don't know what, what came along with the the elect- electronic age and the age of email and that kind of communication, it's like, as long as I'm not standing in front of you, I can say whatever I want to about you. That's terrible. But if you take what somebody else says about you, and then somebody comes to you and says, yeah, but if God is for you, who can be against you? And you put those two things on the same level, then there's no honor for his word. And that same scripture in Romans chapter 8 goes on to say that nothing can separate us from the love of God. No tribulation, no distress, no persecution, nakedness, famine, sword, no, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus has been preaching this. In Mark chapter 4, same thing in Matthew 13, it's the same thing in Luke chapter 8, it's this parable. And as a matter of fact, this is the first parable he, really he communicated like this, and his disciples came to him and said, What's up with the parables? Why why are we talking about sowing seed? These people came to hear you preach. And Jesus looked at them and said, if you don't understand this parable, how then will you understand all parables? So there's something key in this. The key was the ability to see him and recognize him, have eyes to see him. But he's he's preaching about this being rooted. I want to draw your attention to that part of it, being rooted and grounded in the love of God. Now, that's Mark chapter 4. Are you there? Are you in Mark 4? Look at verse 33 now. Let's, let's pick this up and go on. Verse 33 says, And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. On the same day. Everybody say same day. Same day. This is about to happen. Whatever's about to happen, happened on the what? Same day. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, 
let us cross over to the other side. When did this happen? Same day. Same day as the parable. Same day as so or so is the word. Same day as you got to have a root. Same day as without eyes to see, you'll never understand anything. Same day as they see me, but they don't see me. They hear me, but they don't hear me. Same day. Say it again. Same day. On the same day, Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher. Now, personally, I have a problem with that. Jesus is a teacher, but if you don't see him as more than that, then you have an incomplete view of who he is. You have an incomplete opinion of who he is. And there are people even today that say, well, you know, he was, yeah, sure, he was a good teacher. He said some good things, good words to live by. I don't know about that son of God stuff. Okay, go to hell. Sorry, I'm leaving this afternoon, folks. I don't have time to... But that's what separates us, right? That is the decision, that is the recognition, recognition of who he is that has secured an eternal home. But listen, it's not just living free of hell and eternity and being in heaven for eternity. It's the difference between hell on earth or heaven on earth. The recognition of who Jesus is. But they came to him. Keep in mind, this is still early in their relationship with him. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, I know this environment. I know this church. We are faith people. Aren't we? Aren't we people who live and walk by faith? That means we see the word of God. We take the word of God. We speak the word of God. And I grew up, if you talk about the household of faith... You ever heard of Kenneth Copeland? That's my granddaddy. And I got parents that have been preaching this stuff for a long time. This is the household I grew up in. And we lived and we walked and we talked by faith. And everything was by faith. And if you started not feeling good one day and you, you just thought about asking not to go to school, that's fine. But you need to understand this is not lay around day and watch, you know, Gomer Pyle and Hogan's Heroes and all the stuff that's on in the middle of the day. Because if you try that, mom's going to come in and say, excuse me, this guy did not die on a cross for you. Turn that off. Go get in the word. Go put on Papa CD. Get that book. Where's your Bible, boy? Get up. So you think twice about, um, I'm not feeling good. But I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for it because that's the way we live our lives in our home now. We don't tolerate that stuff. We don't lay around and let that stuff just take advantage of us. Well, it's, you know, it's just a 24-hour thing. Folks, I got better stuff to do with 24 hours than to be bent over. Never mind. But come on, live and walk by faith. Now, this... Faith place, like so many others, I know you've heard this before. I know you have. I know you've heard it said that Jesus said to them, where's your faith? You have little faith. And that he fully expected them to, to stand up and speak to that storm just the way he did. And maybe so. But, but I was looking at this and I don't, think, I don't think that that's the indicator. I don't think that's what he saw that indicated to him that they had no faith. See, just... 
just speak into a storm, that in itself is not faith. That's an outworking of faith. That's a demonstration of faith. But in itself, it's not faith. Are you with me? So how did he know they had no faith? Because they came to him and woke him up and said, Don't you care? Do you care about us? See, where there is no revelation of love... There is no faith. When you don't know how much you're loved, there is no faith. Galatians chapter 5, I believe it is, that says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. It doesn't produce anything. That just refers back to an old way of living, an old traditional way of living according to a law, according to, like we've talked about, these rules and these regulations and trying to measure up and trying to perform, trying to earn it. And it says, in Christ Jesus, none of that stuff produces anything. Only faith works by love. In other words, your faith works when you know how much you're loved. That's what I've been talking to you about this whole time, changing your response. If you knew how much you were loved, your life would be marked by faith. It'd be marked by boldness. You'd be defined by your confidence. Your confidence about the future. How do I look ahead and see the future? If the only thing you knew about your future was that you're going to make it and your God won't let you down, you can be confident about that. Boldness is confidence and confidence is knowing. What do you know? What did these guys know? How does faith come? Somebody help me out. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You look at the amplified of that scripture. It says faith comes by hearing the message that was preached from the lips of Christ. Faith comes by hearing either the words of Jesus or the words about Jesus. That's what happened when those people, the, the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus, all these different people that came to Jesus, Scripture tells us they just heard he was there. All that happened to that woman that day, which is, by the way, in this next chapter of Mark chapter 5, the only thing that happened was she heard Jesus was there. She's been sick and broke and suffering from the same stuff for, what was it, 12, 18 years, something like that. And she heard Jesus was there. What happened when she heard? Faith came. I thought you had to hear the word. That's what I said. She heard that the word made flesh had come to town. And faith came. And she got up from where she was and broke all the rules, broke the law, wasn't supposed to be out there, but she said, I don't care. Faith was drawing her to him. And she said all along the way, if I touch but the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. If I touch but the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. Faith comes when you have a word of who Jesus is or the word from his lips. Why should these guys have had faith? They just heard him preach about who he is. You've got eyes that see me. You've got ears that hear me. You've got to be rooted. You've got to value my word above all others. And he got in that boat and gave them a word. You want to know what the word was? Let's go over there. There's your word from God. Go over there. 
I know it doesn't sound spiritual. I know it doesn't sound, you know, just, wow, that really moves me and just affected me so deeply. I have a word from God. No, he just said go. He just said go over there. But how many of you know if it's a word from the lips of Jesus, you can put faith in it? Now, whether or not those guys should have stood up and said, peace, be still, I don't know. But I guarantee you, if they had stood up and said, I have a word from the word, we're going to the other side. If they had just put his word in their mouth, it would have had results. But what kept them from doing that? They didn't know how much they were loved. Don't you care? Listen to me, folks, don't ever, don't ever, don't ever, don't ever, for as long as you live, go to God and question his love for you. He can handle a lot of things, but I'm not sure that's something he tolerates so quietly. I don't know if you love me. You might hear back, are you kidding me? Do you know what I've done for you? And if you'll get quiet for a minute, he'll tell you, and he'll show you. Everything he's done, everything he said, he'll walk you through the whole thing at the end of it and say, and I did it all for you. Don't you ever again question how much I love you. If you know nothing else, know that he loves you. If you know nothing else in your life, know that your God loves you. You see, everything in life, everything in the Christian life is an exchange. Everything. Faith itself is an exchange. Redemption itself was an exchange. The word redemption means to, really if you go back and study it, it's it's referring to the price that was paid to purchase someone out of slavery. And you've been redeemed. Why? Because you were a slave to sin. You were a slave to death. Scripture says death reigned over us, but you've been redeemed. There was an exchange that was made. Now here's a huge thought for you. You ready for this? Every man, woman, and child on this planet who's ever lived or ever will live or lives right now is redeemed. Right now. Now you're thinking, okay, I've worked with some folks that I know for, a, for sure they aren't redeemed. No, they are redeemed. If they weren't, then the price Jesus paid wasn't enough. But it was. Now here's the problem. Not all men are living in their redemption. How do you live in your redemption? You learn to live in the exchange. It's like Sarah ministered to us earlier. Grace came to you and said something to you. Grace said something to you. Grace wants to enter into a conversation with you. But for any conversation to be any good or to minister to anybody, how many of you know that both people need to speak the same language? You're not going to get anywhere if you're not speaking the same language. I told you we've, we had this little boy about a year ago. He came into our lives and he has just radically altered everything. And we love it, we love it, we love it, we love him, we love him, we love him. And there's just something happening right here and now in our lives with him. He's, he's learning. Well, I'll tell you, tell you like this. A few months ago, we were sitting in the kitchen, and he was in his high chair, and out of nowhere, you want to know what he said? Dada. 
And Sarah looked at me and I looked at her and it was just like the greatest day. It was such a beautiful, wonderful day because I felt as I had won something, you know. Dada, dada, and dada, and everything was dada, 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 dada. And I loved it, I loved it, I loved it. And a little while after that, it's, it's been mama. And now it's hi, 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 hi. And he says hi to everyone and everything. He says hi to people we know, people we don't know. And, and Sarah and I were talking about it not long ago. And I was thinking, you know, I, I, I realize now why it's so pleasing to us to hear him say that. And we sit there and go, say it again, say it again, say it again. Say, who's this, who's this, who's this? And you will stand there in front of a kid it's not even a year old for who knows how long going, who's this, who's this, who's this, who's this? And not even feel like you've wasted any time because you love him so much. And I figured out why it so pleases us. You want to know why? He's learning to speak our language. He's learning to communicate with us. And it pleases us. And instead of Sarah and I getting all worried at the first grunt that he made and think, oh, he doesn't speak English? <laughs> we've, we've, we've got, Sarah, we've got to learn to speak grunt. Okay, um, justice. <laughs> we never would have gotten anywhere. But now we're getting somewhere. Why? Because he's learning to speak our language. And a conversation is an exchange. It's an exchange of thoughts. And it's an exchange of words. Two people exchanging with one another. He's learning to speak our language. His vocabulary is a real strong three words deep, but it's growing. It's growing. And the more he learns to speak our language, the more it pleases us. Folks, God speaks faith. That's his language. And it pleases him when you and I learn to speak his language. And life, this life is, being, is to be lived in that exchange, that conversation exchange. God came to you and grace said to you, you're redeemed. Now how do you live in that redemption? You respond. You make the exchange. I believe it. That's what faith said. Faith said, I believe that. That's the exchange. That's the exchange. Trust is an exchange. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And he will direct your path. It's an exchange. This Christian life is to be lived inside that exchange. But what you've got to understand is that God speaks faith and only faith. He doesn't speak a bunch of different languages. God does not speak fear. He doesn't speak worry. He doesn't speak anxiety. He doesn't speak anger. So when you come to him and you're sweating it going, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know what he hears? And he's looking at you going, I'm sorry, baby. What, 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 are you, what is it? What, I, what can I do for you? He wants to, but he doesn't speak those languages. No habla worry. He says, I don't speak it. I don't speak it. And I don't, I don't speak Spanish. So at home when I'm watching Spanish TV and I don't understand what they're saying, guess what? It doesn't help when I turn it up. That's not what makes a difference. 
So when your prayer of worry and fear and anxiety is not getting answered, what do you tend to do? Worry louder. And you just turned up the volume on a language he doesn't speak. He speaks faith. And in the midst of your worry and in the midst of your sweating, in the midst of your freaking out about what are we going to do, and somewhere in there you go, oh, God, I come to you in Jesus' name. He goes, oh, he said it. He said it. Did you hear it? It may not have been perfect. See, I think we've had in our minds that faith, speaking by faith, had to be so technically perfect, and you've got to say it like this, and it's got to be this many times, and it's confession, and, and those things are good, but you know, you've got to grow in that, just like our little guy's growing right now. And it may, it may come out like, Jesus, and, but he said, he said it. He said it, baby, what can I do for you? Well, let, let, me, let me do something for you, because you're speaking his language. But you'll never learn to speak faith until you know how much you're loved. My job as a daddy is to let that little boy know how much he's loved. And I tell him, and I tell him, and I tell him, and I tell him. And he, of all the teachers I've had in my entire life, and I've had some good ones, he's one of the best. He's taught me so much. When he was just born and he was crying, and he didn't, that's just how he communicated. He was crying. And I would just, the only thing I would know to say to him was, I love you, buddy, I love you. The Lord spoke up in me. He said, if he knew that, he wouldn't cry. Because he's hungry. He's hungry thinking, I'm not going to get to eat. What's going to happen if I don't ever get to eat again? <laughs> but if he knew how much we loved him, he wouldn't worry about it. He'd know that he'd be fed. He'd know that he'd be clothed. He'd know that he'd be well taken care of. So it's my job to build into him how much his daddy loves him. That's my job. And I want him to know. And this little guy has just taught me so much about that. Picked him up from his nap not long ago, walked him over to the diaper changing table and said, come on, buddy, let daddy change you. And as soon as I said it, I heard the Lord say it back to me. Let daddy change you. And I learned. You, you ever had one of those experiences where you learn so much in just a second and you see it all at once? And I saw that my little boy is, is as uncomfortable as he is in his mess, as much as he wants to be changed, needs to be changed. He can't do it. He can't do it. He needs daddy to do it or mommy to do it. You cannot change yourself. You've got to enter into this exchange and allow daddy to do it. Allow daddy to make the change. You have a daddy and he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you.